What's up, everybody? It's Austin Rivers from Off Guard, and I've got some exciting news. Off Guard, hosted by me and my guy, Pasha Hagigi, is officially moving to our own podcast feed. We are now dropping two shows every week. Me and Pasha go way back and talk so much hoops already that we figured it was time to fire up the mics and let you in on these conversations. Every week, Pasha and myself will hit on the biggest stories happening around the league. Tap into the show twice a week on our new Off Guard feed on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerNFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. From your morning podcast to your fantasy team, we know you personalize your entire day. That's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with State Farm Personal Price Plan. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices may vary by state. Options selected by customer availability and eligibility may vary. I'm Nora Pizziotti. And I'm Steven Ruiz. And the Super Bowl is set. Chiefs Niners, two weeks from now in Las Vegas, we just spent a conference championship Sunday watching the Chiefs beat the Ravens in an early upset. And then the Niners come back from a 17-point deficit in the NFC Championship game against the Lions. Um, Two games that I think are going to be really, really memorable for both sides uh, and particularly painful, I think, for the losing teams. But let's start with the NFC. Let's start with the 49ers and the Lions. Um, Brock Purdy and the Niners, as we mentioned, they came back uh, from a 17-point deficit. They scored 27 unanswered points in this game in what was just the third quarter from the depths of hell for Detroit. And I think Mm -hmm. we should start there just because there's going to be a lot of, I think, regret that comes out of this. And some of that is is intermingled with the fourth down discourse and all of the would have, could have, should have. But to me, the story of this game is, is just the Lions blowing some really critical situations. And it starts with the fourth down drop by Reynolds um, that then when the Niners get the ball back, then becomes the dropped interception that turns into the 51-yard Brandon Ayuk completion that sets up the touchdown. Just one of the, the craziest plays that we saw on a day when there was a bunch. I mean, do you want to pick it up from there, Steven, or just sort of what was going through your mind while you were watching things unravel for the Lions after they'd built this pretty surprising lead early in the game? Of, of the two fan bases, of the two teams that lost today, like, I feel for the Lions more than the Ravens, because it, like, which is kind of weird, because the Ravens, I still feel like after today's events that they're the they were the best team in the NFL this year. I don't think like today's events sway me in any way. Uh, the Lions, on the other hand, I feel like they weren't the better team today against the 49ers, like they on paper, and they dominated at the beginning. And they they really, like you said, just gave the game away. And it has to feel like they didn't get beat, that they lost the game. And I don't know. That just makes it so much harder to stomach, especially with the Lions, just because you know that. Ben Johnson might be going somewhere else. Right. It looks like he's going to be the head coach of of Washington. And we know how important he was to this setup and and why this team was so special. He was a big part of that. And with him leaving now, this really did feel like their best chance, their maybe their last chance. I don't want to like bury them already. We don't know who the new offense coordinator would be. But it feels like a real missed opportunity where in the other game, it felt like the team that lost, it's really like they're the beginning of their story as as Super Bowl contenders every year, where it it does feel like the Lions missed a real chance. 
and just in the worst way possible because they they had their hand on the ball so many different times for so many potential game-changing plays, even down to the last play, even the onside kick, the last like play that mattered in the game, right in their hands. It just it was it's a perfect metaphor. Unreal. So Ayuk makes that completely ridiculous catch. I mean, that you know, the screen grabs can sometimes be misleading, but there was a screen grab of that play where Vildor is like on his back foot and his hands are above his helmet and the ball is just between his hands, like an inch inside both of his hands. And then Brandon Ayuk is like a yard away, just like running. And the fact that that became not only not an interception, but uh, one of the game-changing plays for the 49ers just kind of sums up the day for the Lions. That was followed up by uh, the third down, another drop by Reynolds on third down when the Lions were trying to drive an answer. Then they had the fumble. Then there were the issues in punt coverage. Um, And all of a sudden, over the course of 15 minutes, it had been 24 to 7, and it's a tie game, 24 to 24. Dan Campbell, obviously is fair or not the main character in a lot of this. Um, The Josh Reynolds drop early was on a fourth and two that he decided to go for. Uh, He went for a fourth and three later on where Jared Goff sort of got pushed out of the pocket and threw in complete, um, maybe missed an open receiver on that play, but just sort of had had bailed and, and given up on what he was doing. There's a lot of takes going on about yes. fourth down decision making and aggressiveness and taking the points as if points are just like low hanging fruit that one plucks from a tree. Uh, do you have a <laughs> do you have a thesis statement here? Do you have your own take to offer, Stephen? I know I have mine, but no, my take is like every rational person's take who has been watching the NFL season all year long and has been impressed by Dan Campbell over the last couple of years. Like we celebrate, we can't vilify him for the things that we celebrate him for. Usually like, it's just so dumb. Like it's, Dude, I know you say the- every rational person. These are not the people who are like, I, I don't know. I think I follow rational people and yet I am looking on the internet and it's just like, gotta take the points, man. Gotta take the points. I, yeah, and I just, right. I don't, you are yelling at math. Like you're just simply yelling at math. Both of those situations, most, you know, there's different models and we don't know exactly how the Lions calculate that stuff. It was sort of a coin flip. And exactly like you said, we have praised this team all year long. They got to this point by taking chances. And it is really tough that two critical ones didn't go the way they wanted in the NFC championship game. But it is just the the cognitive dissonance of like, that's not playing to win combined with the overall narrative around Dan Campbell and the lions is like, just, it's just silly. It just doesn't make any sense. Right. Like the, the thing that like really, I don't know if infuriates the word that like make, makes me laugh. Cause I'm like, like, it's so frustrating is that somehow the like football guy, the tough guy take on fourth downs is to not go for it. It's <laughs> like to have the kicker. Actually, Let's send the 5'10", 160-pound kicker out there and then put it on. Like, no, win the football game. Go out and win the football game. Let's play game. some soccer. How about uh, Reynolds catches the football? How about Jared right, Goff, whenever he has to move, whenever, when, it, when he has to move more than two feet, how about he doesn't throw like a slider to his receivers every time? Like, it was a terrible throw, a bad catch. The, the last thing that was wrong with it was the, the decision to go for it. Right. And I think that, look, I think both of those were less so the play call than just poor execution. I mean, Goff, right. once he is on the move, you're you're dealing with diminishing returns pretty quickly there, right? So, like, once the pressure gets, gets there and the pocket collapses, it, it's going to be tough sledding. In both cases, though, you just, you have, look, you have an issue of player execution, and that's the way the cookie crumbles sometimes. The one, I think, play calling mistake and this is not a, this is not a fourth down thing this is not an aggressiveness thing but on their last drive before they ended up having to go for the onside kick when they had third down I thought Greg Olson was very right to point out on the broadcast that calling that running play on third down which they didn't get and then deciding to use a timeout 
when the clock was running after they didn't get it, necessitating the onside kick being their only hope to to come back and try to win the game, which obviously they didn't get it, and and the 49ers closed it out that way. That I think is a, is a space where you know if you're looking for a place to criticize a coaching decision, I think that's totally fair game. Right. But the the fourth down stuff is is very silly to me. Especially like at the end of the half, he kind of had a similar situation. I know like it it changes the math because like field position isn't an issue when you're going into the half, but he kicks the field goal in the second quarter and like I felt like that was a worse decision than going for it when he did. I don't know. It's just so inconsistent how we talk about this stuff because I've never heard anyone complain about Dan Campbell going for it on fourth down until literally tonight. I don't think this I've is, ever heard his, it before. It's his whole thing. There it's was, his thing. Uh, uh, Robert Griffin, I saw, tweeted something <laughs> where it was just, and I'm, I'm going to paraphrase, and it was not, it was totally like in, innocuous or maybe even a good point, but it was just something about like, <laughs> ah, you're going down and you're not biting kneecaps. And I just had a moment of like, what if you were an alien who was just beamed down to earth and you saw this sentence or just for someone who didn't follow, like, what are we doing here? But anyway. Um, I thought overall, like, I, I find it strange that, you know, I think a lot of the headlines tomorrow morning are going to be about Campbell's gambles. And to yeah. me, that's not right. It's, it's failures in critical spots, mostly due to execution. And, you know, look, just a, a furious comeback from the Niners. And... I was thinking a lot last week, obviously, because the divisional round was what it was. And we were talking about Brock Purdy and I was trying to, you know, go through the list of like, okay, what does this guy do well? And I got to say near the top of the list for me, he's not, he's never scared. He's never, he's never turtling in a big situation. And I do think that matters. And I do think the fact that he came out in, in the second half, especially made a ton of plays with his legs. Mm-hmm. was really important for them. I don't think he played a great game. No. No, <laughs> no. Think- this was the game that showed off, like, like that's the that's the thing that's so, that makes it so difficult to talk about him, is that I feel like in order to explain his production without just being like, oh, it's the teammates, it's the play calling, you kind of have to fill in those narrative gaps and you have to be like, oh, he's he's doing this because of this. And then you kind of, you go, oh, accuracy and anticipation. And that's, but w- what you saw today, which w- I thought was a really impressive performance, especially in the second half, like none of that was the reason he was good tonight. He was not accurate tonight. He did not anticipate tonight. He, like, he just improvised. Like he went backyard football. And like, if we talked about him in those terms, I think it would be so much easier to, like, I, I feel like the big thing this week was two people having arguments against people that don't exist. There was the guy, the people on one side that were like, why can't we just say Brock Purdy or like, why can't we just celebrate him for what he is? Why do we have to like say he sucks? And then there's the other people that are like on the other end of that spectrum. And I think like it, the truth is somewhere in the middle as it usually is. And I think tonight was a really good illustration of what he actually does well and like what he provides this offense that the past quarterback did not. And it's, it's not the irony is that it is not what you would sort of stereotypically call a game manager. Like that is not who he is at all. And when they win, when he helps them win, that's not what it is. So it's even like, even I think the, the, the very, the pro Brock Purdy narrative is like, game managers get a bad rap and that's what you need to win in the NFL. But it's just like, that's not when he's great, when he helps them, that's, it's not like, we're not like going out there and being Alex Smith. Um, He's not not like going to the line and like checking the protection and then like getting a check down on time. Like Tom Brady, like that's not what this is. It's like, that's what makes the conversation so difficult. And the other part is like, we're getting the terms wrong. You're, he's not a game manager. No one's calling him a game manager. The people like me are calling him a system quarterback. And there's a very clear difference between those two things. There's like a guy getting propped up by a system. And then there's a guy that's like a caretaker. If you watch Brock Purdy and your takeaway is that he's a game manager, then like, I don't think you know what you're watching. That's not managing a game. He does not manage a game. He, he like, I think that's what's so refreshing that 
about him, especially for 49ers fans who have had to watch Jimmy G, like, and I wouldn't call Jimmy G a game manager. Jimmy G's not a game manager. Jimmy G makes some of the dumbest plays you've ever seen. He does the opposite of managing the game. Uh, but, but I think Jimmy this offense does a is, little like, bit, is conducive like, to that talk. Yeah, well, but Jimmy also, like, he does have that very, very quick release. He, like, that, it makes a little more sense to me with Jimmy. Okay, wait, okay, let me ask you one thing. What's the main thing with game managing? It's protecting the football. And would anyone ever say that Jimmy G is like a guy who protects the football? It's like he does the opposite of it. That's, see, I don't know that I would. I think you're, I think a lot of people would say that the main thing with game managing, which again, therein lies the issue because this isn't a real thing. So everyone would say a different thing. I would have said like, sort of like quick progression accuracy on like short intermediate throw. It's like efficient, but not explosive offenses come out of players who are game managers. And Jimmy probably is a closer fit. Although I I certainly take your point on that with Purdy. I mean, he scrambled for six first downs in this game. He was like, he's like Lamar out there today, which is not, I mean, I'm sort of kidding. Um, but it was a really both in terms of of scrambling to throw and scrambling on keepers and and he was really productive for them and those were examples of him sort of you know taking a play in his hands taking the game in his hands and just going and doing it and i i thought it was impressive also the most important passing play in this game <laughs> <laughs> went in between a defender's hands and then bounced off his helmet. This is such a good game for the discourse. I hate it so much, but it's also really funny. Um, Just so, the Sunday you know, in general, not even the game. It was a doubleheader yeah, of bad discourse football. <laughs> yeah. We're never going to be able to solve for who Brock Purdy really is, but I do think that this was a very amusing version of it. And and I do... Look, I, there's been a thing with the 49ers about making comebacks and coming back from deficits and he's done it twice in a row. And okay. Okay. This one was fake. I'm not even trying to take credit. This is not me being a hater. This one was fake. They were down by fake. Fake. He came back or they came (laughs) back. The offense came to Kyle. Both. I mean, this comeback was based on a 50 yard pass. Like you said, that went through a defender's hand and then a fumble on the first play on the ensuing drive. This was not a proper like 14 point comeback. It was a silly comeback. It was, we don't have to like act like this bust the narrative that Kyle Shanahan offenses can't come back. And I would say the same thing about last week. Like that was like, you were on here last week saying like Purdy was terrible. He had one good drive and like one good drive does not usually make a comeback. I'm totally with you. I, do, I also, look, to be very explicitly clear, I don't think he was very good as a quarterback in this game. I'm just, I'm interested no, in the, no. the exploration of what he does well. And yes. I do believe that a lot of, a lot of high-level sports is, is stress management. And this is where, and like, I tend to not like to think this way, but this is where I veer a little bit into just like, you got to believe territory. I think there are some situations where if you have, you know, the Lions win probability with eight minutes and 29 seconds left in the third quarter was 90%. And five minutes later in the, it was in the fifties and they end up, you know, they don't throw the game away. They end up pulling out the, the 49ers consistently scored in the second half. I do think there is something to be said for just continuing to go out and generate offense in those situations. And now they got a lot of help. They got an absolute ton of help because it is very hard to come back from 17 points down. And I I think there are players who would crumble. And I think in particular, there are players who don't have a lot of experience, which he doesn't really have a lot of experience. And I think that's impressive. So, you know, just, just, just taking some time to give the man his due. Yeah, he was very good at scrambling. I like that's what, like you said, that's what won then the game. Like this was one of the examples of him winning them a game this year. Like it hasn't happened often. It's not because he's failed. It's because he hasn't needed to. And I would say this was way more impressive than the Packers game. Right. 
Right. And that drive. That's that's definitely true. That is definitely true. Yeah. What did you think about the 49ers on the defensive side? Because when Detroit got up early, things were not going so well for a while. They were giving up third and longs. They were not tackling very well. They were having a lot of trouble in space. The Lions were really winning that battle for the middle of the field. Uh, but then, obviously, thanks to a lot of those key plays and those big high variance moments going their way, things got a lot better and, and Detroit stopped scoring. Where after 60 minutes do you come out on the 49ers defense? It's it's tough. Uh just because matchups, like this is such a tough offense when you have run defense problems. And right. they're like perfectly suited to exploit those problems. And that's what they were doing. And I thought I didn't think the 49ers overreacted. I think they realized like they just have to get pressure on golf. And once they start getting pressure that it's going to change the game. And that's what happened. Jared Goff, at one point his, uh, CPOE was minus 49% under pressure. So like the equivalent of that is like, take a, like a 100% guaranteed thing. Jared Goff was turning that in like, like me handing you a football is like an a hundred percent completion probability. <laughs> Jared Goff was turning that into a 50-50 proposition when he was under pressure. That's what that stat means. Like, mine is 49%, which is insane. But I think, like, the 49ers did a really good job of just sticking to their plan and, and knowing, like, eventually the dam would break, and I think it did. And the bounces helped, and I, think, I thought the bounces kind of got Detroit out of their positive game script. And then at the same time, I don't want to give them too much credit because, like we've said so many times, Detroit had passes in their hands and dropped it. And that changes how we view a defensive performance. If they catch those passes, I don't think we're sitting here going, wow, 49ers defense did really well. I think we're saying, wow, the 49ers defense got killed all game long and, and they never adjusted. So I'm, I'm impressed that they didn't panic. I don't, think this, I don't think the defense is better than it was like in the first half. I think they got a little bit more lucky. It's going to be an interesting thing to think about for the Super Bowl because you know think of this iteration of the Chiefs a lot of the offense is going through Isaiah Pacheco a lot of a lot of what they're doing is winning in the trenches and riding a, a pretty north-south downhill oriented running game and for this 49ers defense they had a tough matchup in the Lions, especially early being able to run the ball. The Packers were able to, to run on them. And it's such a funny, like, we don't think of the Chiefs that way, but that's a lot of what that offense has turned into. Right. And it's an interesting test to see if they'll be able to do it again. Um, and it'll probably end up being a big part of the Super Bowl. So you mentioned the Ben Johnson factor. Seems reasonably likely that um, he could be going to Washington and and not being there going forward. Jared Goff, however, there's a lot of reports going around that they're going to talk about a contract extension this offseason. There have been points in the past where, you know, there's been some question as to whether he was sort of a bridge quarterback there, but they, they're, they're full go, I think. And they've got a fair bit of cap space. They've obviously built a nucleus there and they've got some young talent, but where do you think it goes? And what do you think the, the sort of biggest hinges are in terms of where the lines go from here? I think they're bought in already. Like I, you hear Dan Campbell, you, you hear Brad Holmes talk about Jared Goff. It doesn't sound like there's this dilemma for them. I don't know if this game changes that. I, I don't see why it would. Cause they kind of overachieved just to get here. I think he signs with them. I there, think he gets his, his Channing money. is There were Jared Goff chants going on in the Detroit airport at, at yeah. halftime of this game. They were chanting at the so. Pistons game today. Yeah. They were chanting <laughs> at the Pistons game today. Jared Goff's name. It's insane. Uh, but I, I do think the problem is that we saw it today. Like the fact that the 49ers were able to not panic and that they could just be like, just we just stick with our plan. Like Jared Goff will come to us. Like, oh, that's all we have to do. I think that, like, shows something. And I think, like, you you look at the other three quarterbacks today that played today, and they didn't all play well. Like, Lamar Jackson, for instance, didn't play well. But he kept his offense viable by moving. 
Patrick Mahomes early in that game, they didn't do anything in the second half, but like when they scored the first two drives, Patrick Mahomes did that by moving. Brock Purdy, when the, like we talked about, when the offense wasn't working, he made it work by moving. And that's just how the game is played. That's how the position is played these days. And Jared Goff, like, yes, you can, if you put him in a good system, if you give him a good offensive line and everything's right, he's going to make good throws. Like he's a talented thrower of the football. But if you speed him up a little bit, that's, he's, I don't want to say useless, but there's points in the game where he seems useless. Like he can't do things. And I just don't know how you pay that quarterback in 2024. I I think that's obviously a a philosophical choice on their part. Reportedly, resetting the quarterback market is not important to him. Um, Probably a good thing because the top quarterback market is like $55 million a year. But I've seen this film before, so never say never. He's very humble. Um, Someone said, hey, Jerry Goff, do you think you should make more than Patrick Mahomes? And he's like, no, no, I shouldn't. No, 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 no. Oh, wow. No, no, just a little, just a hair (laughs) under. And that'll be fine for me. Um, So, yeah, it's look, it's 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 a different way of doing business. At the same time, I do think this was the best year of Jared Goff's career. Yeah. I mean, do you think that's like he's he's gotten better and yeah, that doesn't change that doesn't change inherent limitations of of his running ability, his physical ability. But I do think that he has gotten better and he just had the yeah. best season of his career. And. You know, we shouldn't underestimate the possibility that people continue to learn, I suppose. I'm just trying I'm trying to end on a on a positive note. No, it, for me, it's kind of like the Kirk Cousins thing. Like, like a couple of years ago, Kirk Cousins became good, and like, yeah, I'm glad you said it because otherwise, I was gonna have to. And I, I don't mean like, like he was always a decent quarterback, but he actually became like a a quarterback that we should talk about, like in terms of like being a top ten quarterback. But with him, it's just like, yeah, he's good now, but it also just doesn't matter. It would be like if you now, like if I if I got really good at like multiple. Cation uh, tables right now, like that doesn't serve me well. But if I knew that in when I was in second grade, I would be like killing it. But like it's too late. We don't care anymore. It, like it's never. The, the the thing with golf is like no matter like when it matters, he's going to lose. But there's still, I don't know. Sometimes and also like let's let's think about it. And one of the takeaways from today should be that the NFC and the AFC are are not the same. And building, if you're in the NFC, is a little bit of a different thing than if you're building in the AFC. We're like, and and maybe we'll use this to pivot into the Chiefs-Ravens game. But like part of me came out of today just being like, when the Brady-era Patriots were cooking and winning Super Bowls, there were a lot of good teams and a lot of good quarterbacks who just never got that moment and never got a championship and just didn't get there because they were blocked. And a lot of the AFC, I think, is going to continue to be like that because if the Chief, if this Chiefs team is going to the Super Bowl, then it is just so hard to knock them out. Yeah. In the NFC, I think you can make the argument that if you have a quarterback on, you know, second, third, starter contract salary, but not at the very top of the market cap goes up every year and you put a really good infrastructure around him. I get it. I, I, I get it. But you think that about the NFC because of Jared Goff, like he's the guy in the hot dog suit going, I wonder like why the top teams in the NFC aren't reliable year to year. It's because of Jared Goff's one of the quarterbacks. Yeah, but what if the, the other like, quarterbacks... That's why it's like that in the NFC. Brock Purdy's going to the Super Bowl. Like, you can compete like this. I know, but Jared Goff was on the sideline watching him scramble and being like, man, I wish I could do that. Like, he was looking at jo- uh, Brock Purdy and be like, if only I had his talent. Like, that's the point. Like, it's never going to happen with Jared Goff. He's never going to be able to run a 4-7. It's a low bar. I'm not even asking for, like, a 4-5. He's never going to be able to throw on the run. And that's, like, a thing you can't work around. Like, football doesn't work like that. We need to get Jared Goff just, like, a sprinting coach. We, what we need is, like, Detroit needs to hire a lobbyist who goes to the rules com- 
committee and makes every quarterback have to play from a bar stool from now on. Then he would be the best. <laughs> if he had like a swivelly chair, like I have. <laughs> if he had a swivelly chair like this, like an office chair, he would be like, "Oh my god, how did I ever play without this before?" He would be like a new layer of mobility for him. That's the problem. Like his game would not change if he played from a bar stool, and like you can't win in the NFL like that anymore. Could Jared Goff be better? Certainly. It's just, they don't, you know, they don't grow on trees. I just think it's, I, I don't know. I, I, I have to say that I get it. And I think it's, it's sometimes scary to go into that great beyond. And the way that this team works together, the way all the, the, you know, you need the offensive line. And at some point, if that's not as good as it is now, he's going to be in more trouble than he was this season. It, it all has to work together. But I just, I, I can't sit here and honestly tell you that I'm like, this is a horror, you know, extending Jared Goff is the worst decision the Lions are, are going to make for the future of their franchise. That's all. Yeah. I mean, like, you're also the Lions and like, you have to like, if, if signing him ensures that you are going to be a playoff contender for like the next two years, then like, right. yeah, you make that move. You might not win a Super Bowl, but like, this is new territory for the Lions. And I think, like, even, like, if they make the playoffs three years in a row, it would be the, literally the greatest stretch in the history of the franchise. They right. don't even have to win another playoff game. This was the best season in Lions history. I, I, think right. I just realized. Happy Super Bowl to all who celebrate from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. If you're like me, Super Bowl Sunday is all about scoring the best seat on the couch, grabbing your favorite football snacks, and placing some super bets. Like maybe you might want to bet on Super Bowl 58. If I was you, I would bet on the under in that game. I'm expecting a low-scoring one, and I don't really trust either team to bet on just yet. And FanDuel has so many ways for you to end the season with a W or two or three. Not only can you bet on who will win Super Bowl 58, but FanDuel also has bets for which players will score a touchdown, how many points will be scored, and so much more. If you're new to FanDuel, join today and you'll get $200 in bonus bets when you win your first $5 bet. Just visit FanDuel.com slash RingerNFL. That's FanDuel.com slash RingerNFL. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerNFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Crown Royal. This NBA season, Crown Royal is celebrating the loyal fans that show up for every tip-off and also celebrating the people who drink Crown Royal during games. I know I like to have some around whenever I'm taking in a basketball game, an NBA game. Always good to have around. And Crown Royal believes if you live generously, life will treat you royally. Visit crownroyal.com to get ready for tip-off. Please drink responsibly. Okay, let's talk about Chiefs Ravens. Um, man. I don't know. I think you said that you think the the Lions loss stings more of the two. I, I'm just not sure because I watched this game and end up feeling like feeling like the Ravens played the better game. Yes. But in basically every single high impact spot, just made like a devastating error. And I don't know. I think that's a tough way to lose. I mean, it's the two turnovers in the end zone. It's Zay Flowers. Um, the other one was the Lamar interception uh, to Likely, which, you know, was basically thrown into triple coverage. It was the blitz pickup. It was the penalties. It. I just, I think you walk away from this game if you're Baltimore just with a low light reel of, oh my God, we blew it. We just blew it. And 
man, that's 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 tough because I still think that's a really, really, really good team. I still think that that, you know, this is a team that was fourth in yards and six in points this year. And I think they just played one of their worst offensive games at the absolute worst time. And they ended up scoring points and scoring 10 points in the AFC championship game. And you probably come out of that with, with a lot of regret, a lot of talk about the game plan, um, the decision to, to only have the running backs carry the ball eight times over the course of the entire game is, is one that I don't know a good explanation for. I'm just really, really flummoxed by, um, particularly against this chiefs defense that was 28th against the run. So there's certainly this element to it. That's just like the chiefs and Mahomes are, are so incredible and building a dynasty and inevitable in that way. But if you're Baltimore, I think you, you walk away just feeling kind of demoralized. Yeah. Uh, I, I would just say that I, I don't think it's as devastating just because I think this team is going to be back next year. And I don't think with Detroit, that's a guarantee. I I agree with your point that I think if you played this game 10 times, the game generally goes the same, but the result changes. Whereas I think if you played the Lions and 49ers game 10 times, it looks completely different from what we saw. I don't think we see right. Detroit get out to a 24-7 lead. But this I think this was the game where we saw the the problem with them kind of, I don't know how to put it, stunning Lamar's growth in Greg Roman's offense, I think would be the way to put it, which held this team back from getting to these stages earlier in his career. And I think like that lack of experience really showed in this game, not just for him, but for the whole team. Like if it felt like the chiefs were the team that you just knew they weren't going to make a mistake and give the game away. And the, with the Ravens, it felt like every five plays, there was another a play where they were just making the dumbest, most avoidable mistake possible. And the Zay Flowers thing, like, st- stretching out for the goal line in that situation is such like a coaching point and such like a veteran thing. I, I thought it just, it was the perfect way to illustrate what their problem was today. It wasn't like a, a play calling thing to me. It wasn't a talent thing even. I think it was just execution and not making the mistakes. Like, it, this was a really good illustration of not losing football games there's a that like famous Trent Dilford line when he was on ESPN and he was like you can't win games if you don't lose them first and like a lot of people make fun of it but like this game was that like this made right. Dilford look smart for saying that because that's exactly what happened the Ravens lost this game through and through they outgained them by like 250 to 90 in the second half they moved the ball at will the only time they got stopped was their own mistakes for the most part, whether, like you said, it was pass protection, whether it was Lamar making mistakes with his reads or whether it was just the wide receivers. Just The wide receivers played a terrible game. And I thought that's another point is that for me, this is Lamar's first proper playoff run where he had like the tools to actually win the Super Bowl. He wasn't throwing to Seth Roberts on third down, for instance. But at the same time, this receiving oh, core that Seth Roberts and the Roberts family. Yeah, sorry for the stray. Uh, at the same time, this receiving core that we've kind of like celebrated the Ravens for finally putting weapons around him, like included a washed Odell Beckham who made no impact in this game. Rashad Bateman, who has made no impact. He showed in up on that one drive in, in the second half. It was like, oh yeah, Odell's here. Yeah, Hello. He, caught, he caught the fourth down pass. Yeah. And then Zay Flowers, he's a very good player, but obviously still a rookie and obviously made some mistakes and even cut his hand on the bench. And I, I don't think well, he played And it. was just, he was just so, so emotional. Like he was worked up. I mean, he, you know, he was at an 11 this entire game, right? Because the taunting play. Right. Yeah. Is an example of, of someone's just adrenaline and, and competitive instincts and emotion getting the better of him and taunting's dumb but like the rules are the rules and you know you can't do that but he lost his mind for a second and then even like if you have a coaching point of you cannot extend the ball in that situation that's when you forget stuff like that and then you're so worked up about it that you go to the sideline and you smash your hand on the the bench and you know I felt so it was so sad seeing him after the game just clearly like putting the towel over his head and feeling devastated but it did seem like that inexperience might have had something to do with why the boiling point was just why they were sort of at that that simmer the entire time and it's it's of course more pronounced when you're seeing the chiefs when it's just when you're playing the chiefs when who never 
flinch and and get ahead of themselves in, in those ways. So I, I agree with you that like the wasted time in the past, you sort of wish that they had had those experiences and maybe some of this stuff would have gone differently. I do. What do you think about the the run game stuff? Do you think it was just the game script? I, I find it just really flummoxing that the run game was so absent. I think it was the game script. It was very disjointed in the first half. Like they couldn't get in, in a rhythm at all. There was three and outs. There was like five and outs. I don't even know if that's a term. There were, uh, and the Chiefs were really selling out to stop the run. Like they were playing, it wasn't cover zero, like traditional cover zero, but they were cover zero looks. And I, from watching, like, that's because they wanted them to not run the ball though. Yeah, but I I just don't think they had the looks. And when they did try to run the ball at times, there there wasn't a lot of space. But I I don't know. I do I do think like they had to do something different. I don't know if it was just like call more runs, but I think they had to figure out a way to replicate the run game if they were afraid that they couldn't run into those fronts. And I thought that's what KC did really good early on with like the screen passes, getting the ball out to the perimeter, right. making them tackle. And they kind of replaced the run game because they were like, oh, we're not going to be able to run against the Ravens. Like, they have the advantage in the front seven. And I thought they found a way around that, whereas Todd Munkin didn't. And I think that was more of a problem than him just not calling enough runs, which I do think was situational. I don't think it was Even a great like, game for like Munkin. Gus, you know, when Gus Edwards could was gaining yards when they handed yeah. off the football. I, I, certainly some of it was situational. And certainly there are other ways to get around that when they're stacking the box than, you know, handing off and asking him to to go downhill and run into a wall. Again, we're talking about the Ravens running backs finishing a game with eight carries for 27 yards. This is against a team that in the regular season, they were 28th against the run. Last week, the Bills ran for 182 yards on them. Also, you're the Baltimore Ravens. Like, you got to do it a little. I just, I, I, it to me conceded something that I'm sure Spags went in there going, this is a win-win if, okay, we're not very good against the run, so we're going to sell out to stop it. And if they run it, we're going to have better numbers and hopefully be well-equipped to do that. But if they just abandon that, then we're more comfortable playing that, that game anyway, which is more about their secondary being a strength of their defense than it is about, you know, I don't want to accidentally sound like I'm saying, Oh, if you get Lamar into pure passing situations, blah, 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 blah. But I think right, they're yeah, much happier yeah. playing playing defense on those terms. So I, I just felt like he conceded a part of the game plan that played into how Kansas City wanted that game to go. But it was very, you know, just the the, it was a sort of funky start to the game in terms of yeah. the script. So I think that got them out of it too. Yeah, I think those things are like kind of interconnected that the fact that they were never able to find, even if it wasn't the run game, but a way to get four yards on first down consistently. Right. Is what kind of like, it was like quicksand almost. And they just kept sinking and sinking. And I think that like also speaks to inexperience. We usually talk about that in terms of players. It didn't affect Mike McDonald, like being on the stage for the first time, obviously, because I thought he coached a hell of a game, even like the first two drives. I know people are saying, Oh, look how well he adjusted. That was not adjustments. They were shutting down their offense from the first drive. Mahomes was just insane for those first two drives and made that look easier than it was. But I think Todd Munkin's inexperience calling an offense at this level in the NFL, like he's done it at college that you won a national championship or two in a row with Georgia. But I thought him, like you said, kind of conceding something without making the Chiefs earn it was... Uh, not a red flag, but it was like a, a thing where you're like, oh, that's something to track going forward. Like, how is, learning is he going to react like this in the playoffs? And like, the one thing with him is uh, like mid-season, I would say, I went to a practice. I asked him about like how things change being a first-year coordinator versus like being there for a while. And he did say like, it's we're all learning. Like even me, I'm learning how to do this. And I think next year we're going to be a lot different than we were this year. And I think this is one of those learning experiences that – it's going to make this team better in the long run. That's why I don't think, like, in the moment, I think this is going to be this is going to be a hard one to get over. But I think five years from now, we're not going to be looking back at this and being like, that was the Ravens' chance, and they really blew it. I think they're going to get more chances. Whereas, like, with the Lions, for instance, I think in five years, there's a very good chance for, like, man, you remember that one year when the Lions almost made the Super Bowl and blew it? Uh, 
And that's the difference. Yeah, no, I, I definitely hear you on that. And I, it'll be really interesting to see how he, if they are in a similar situation, how they evolve. And if they're ever in a situa- similar situation, how Munkin would would call the offense in that way. Because I did think there was a little bit, or at least it made me wonder if there was a little bit of like, okay, there's been this whole, whole big story of the season with this team about the transition from Greg Roman to Todd Munkin and all the things that it's done for Lamar, all the things that it's done for this offense. And we talk a lot about the development of the passing game. And it's been great to watch and it's done great things for them and it's been been really effective. But sometimes, like, it's very hard to be in a hugely stressful situation and get away from the things that have made you that are sort of your bread and butter, right? I even felt, I, I even wondered if with Lamar, so the two most like unbelievable plays that he made were plays where he scrambled and then threw. Now in one of those situations, he caught the ball, um, <laughs> but it was it plays that he extended with his legs and then ended up throwing the ball. And that's been such a hallmark of of their success and development this year is that he's he's been buying time, but he's been throwing on the move and scrambling to throw. And it's been really effective. And it's it's helped their passing game a lot. And now he he um ran eight times for 54 yards in this game. So it's not to say that he didn't um do a lot of work on the ground himself. I did think just given how much man coverage they were playing, how often they were blitzing, which often meant that there wasn't a spy on him. He probably even passed up some more opportunities. Yes. To just tuck it and go. A hundred percent. I, yeah, I, like watching from the field, there was there. He should have scrambled more. I totally, I think you, yeah, by the like way, the we should have said Steven is in Baltimore right now. I think that that's like the, the point when you're watching their offense, uh, like a replay of this game, I think that's the best point that you could possibly make is that they, Lamar should have scrambled more. And when he started scrambling, like when his clock, his internal clock to scramble got sped up in the second half, we saw them start to move the ball. And I totally agree with you. Like the problem wasn't so much that Lamar was confused at what he was seeing. It was like, no one was open downfield. Spags, like this was one of the more impressive performances. Both defensive coordinators live up to the hype in this one. They had everything covered. Like, Almost all, like every play, it was insane how well they covered this this uh, passing game up. And I thought in the first half he was really trying to be, like remain that passer, like you said. And he was trying to. I, I'm not saying he was like buying into the hype of the season, the narrative around him, but, but I do it, think it that got was them a here. To, like it got them here in a lot of ways. Right, it's right. very hard to just do away with that. But I I wonder if there's a little bit of that for Lamar and for Munkin too, where some of it is like you don't buy into the hype, but like you buy into the identity and you buy into sort of like what, what makes you, you, but then sometimes the situation does change. And obviously sometimes it's, it's bad when teams get away from their bread and butter, get away from their fundamentals. But like, this is still Lamar Jackson. We're talking about, this is still a team that fundamentally the thing that, that they're built to have a successful running game the thing that was exciting and is exciting about the Monk and offense is when you emphasize the passing game, then you have everything. Because if you have Lamar, right, yeah. you're going to have an advantage in the running game. Um, so just an interesting dynamic that maybe affected both the the coordinator and, and Lamar when he chose to run. Let's talk about Kansas City's offense. I, I found myself wondering a lot watching this game if, if I really felt like this meant that they'd found something, like found an identity and found something that works because fully hand up, I am very surprised this team is in the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. By the time, by the time they were in the the Bills game, that's when it started to feel like, oh my <laughs> gosh, here they come again. But during the season, I did not think that this offense was good enough to get here. And now, over the course of of the playoffs so far for them, first of all, Travis Kelsey has come alive. He had 11 catches um, on 11 targets for 116 yards and a touchdown. Today, he's had three touchdowns in the postseason. He's averaging um, close to 100 yards per game. 
and had some good one-on-one battles with Kyle Hamilton in a matchup that I thought could have really swung things for Baltimore, but but did not. And then they have just basically eliminated everyone who's not Travis Kelsey, Rasheed Rice, and Isaiah Pacheco from this offense. <laughs> <laughs> MVS got to ice the game, which I guess was nice. But it's just those three and then Mahomes scrambling. And I guess it kind of works. But then also they got completely shut down in the second half of this game. So my head is spinning. Can you help me make sense of this? Where are you on the Chiefs offense? No, I agree with you. Like, I don't, it's, it's, it's all their stars at this point. Like they are running on star power fumes at this point on offense. Uh, I don't know what this offense looks like if you replace Mahomes with even like a relatively good quarterback. If you replace him with Jared Goff, I don't know how much they score a game. I think they score 13 points. This offense is not good right now. And I don't think he was that good on the first two drives. And that's like the only production they had all game. In the second half, they averaged three yards per play. Yeah. And this wasn't a game where they were just like in run it out mode. All They were up by like seven and 10 points for a, a majority of the, the Ravens were very much in the game for the whole second half. And the Chiefs could still only muster, muster a three yards per play. And they had what, like four opportunities on offense to put this game away with a drive and went like three and out or had two series and then punt it every time. There's problems. I don't know if the 49ers are the team that's going to be able to exploit these problems because their pass rush isn't what it used to be. Their run defense is exploitable at the middle. And the Chiefs have Isaiah Pacheco, who's a, just a, a madman, like just a barbarian when he runs. And I think that's like the worst possible matchup for this. Uh, team, but like in a vacuum in the offseason, they need to fix this offense. I don't care if they win yeah. the Super Bowl. Like, this needs to be overhauled. If they win the Super Bowl, this was an aberration. Wow. Like, you should not count also, this as like something actionable. If they win the Super Bowl, they might have a little bit extra to replace. Um, just because are we sure if if they win the Super Bowl, are we sure Killa Trav is sticking around for next year? No, I'm, I, I, I'm not I, sure that's a given. One thing I will say about Kelsey, he did have a, a very good game. The Ravens did not treat him like he was any different from any of those other receivers. Yeah. It, 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 like, it wasn't always Kyle Hamilton guarding him one-on-one. Like Sometimes it was, it was Arthur Mollett <laughs> or Brandon Stevens, and they were fine with him on third down and one-on-one coverage. So I think like Kelsey's production suggests that he's back, but I think like his degree of difficulty is no longer what it w- once was in terms of like coverages that he's seen in double teams, at least for this game. I don't know what the 49ers are going to do, but I don't think Kelsey commands the double team like he did last year and the years before that, which has made Patrick Mahomes' scrambling so much more important because now teams do have that free defender in the field that they're not using to double him. And in this game, it that was like the most impressive thing to watch live was it was like Mahomes was seeking out where that extra guy was, that 11th man, so to speak, on every play. And if like that guy was deep and responsible for pass coverage, he would just take off immediately. Like there was no, like we were talking about with Lamar, it was just instant. Like I run, I scramble and he scrambled a lot in this game. And it was every time they played some sort of too high, if they played single high, then there was a man in the middle of the field and you couldn't do it. But that was really impressive. And I think like you learn to calibrate that thing, that, whatever that thought process in your head through these games, like these playoff games, these big stages, I really think expose the flaws in teams and players. And I think Patrick Mahomes has been through these wars and he's had bad showings on these stages and he always gets better. And I don't think if Mahomes has those early experiences, like the Bucks Super Bowl, for instance, the Bengals AFC championship game, I don't think he's the player that he is right now. And I think this is like improvement based on past failures. And today, the numbers weren't there. The offense didn't move the ball well, but they scored three. Any other teams with a, another quarterback scores three points today, maybe. Right. I, I think you can make the argument this is what this is one of the best games that he's played this year. And again, like the numbers are not flashy, but it was his best game by CPOE, which like think about what that means. The guys are covered, right? Like all of that is factoring in all of the the stuff that influences, are you likely to complete a pass or not? And these were, some of these passes were were passes that a lot of quarterbacks just shouldn't even be throwing. 
but he's making it happen. It's really good on third down. Just so calibrated, as you said, on those scrambles. He's on a he's on another level. I mean, they the they kind of remind me of the gosh, years are really hard for me. The 2018 Patriots, I guess it was, who kind of stunk for a lot of the season. Yeah, most of the year. But to, had a good defense. And then towards the end, they just found, and for them it was the run game, but they just, they found right. what worked. And sometimes that's enough when you have an automaton, like, you know, otherworldly guy playing quarterback and you have a good coach and you have a defensive coordinator who's like a life ruiner for opposing quarterbacks. Sometimes it's it's more than enough. Sometimes you um, end up uh, thinking that Jared Goff is going to shit his pants. And yeah, it happens. It, it's, it's happened before and maybe it can happen again. Um, we're going to have a lot of time to preview the Super Bowl, obviously, over the, the next couple of, of um, weeks. But one thing that's interesting about this to me is that I think Mahomes might end up being an underdog for the third game in in a row. For this, I don't I know because is I, there a I line out? There might be. Yep, minus one. That's wild. The 49ers are favored by one point. I don't know. I don't know, man. I just I I, I I'll be so curious to see if that moves it's because move, I just but who's if you're taking... a KC fan. You want Mahomes to be the underdog, right? Totally, of course. Like, I, but who's if you're not if you if you don't have a horse in this race, who isn't taking Mahomes as an underdog? I don't care if it's one point. Who's not being like, I'm gonna bet that Patrick Mahomes doesn't lose the game. This guy is going yeah, to his know, fourth Super Bowl bet. in five years. Like, it's it's man. If I all I know is if I had some bonus bets to throw around on FanDuel sportsbook. <laughs> I might consider taking that point. I would take it. I would take the point. It's an, it's a, I was trying to make an extra point taken joke, but I just can't come up with it. Um, it's late at night. <laughs> Don't give them um, any credit. No. <laughs> what do you, so if I ask you for an, a way too early Super Bowl prediction that you are not held to, you're more than welcome. You'll be free of charge. If you rethink this and think better of it. That's fine. But before before that happens, do you want to throw out a really early Super Bowl prediction? Yeah, I think the Chiefs are going to win. Uh, they have the, the best quarterback in the world. They have the best player on the field. I think they have a defensive coordinator that I trust more. I, don't, I trust Spags over Steve Wilkes 100% of the time. And then I think for the first time all year, Shanahan will be going up against a coach who is just as good as him. So that won't be an advantage. And I think that was the difference in the Chiefs win today was that Andy Reid and Mike McDonald kind of canceled each other out. Right. Because I do think, like I said, the Ravens defense dominated, but I, I do think the initial plan was very smart and that's why they scored so early. And then Munkin versus Spags was a mismatch. In this right. game, I think Reid versus Wilkes will be a mismatch. And I think... Spags versus Shanahan in that offense will be a stalemate. That's why I would give it to Kansas City. I have to think about this more, but early feel Kansas City by more than one point. <laughs> yeah, I'm in the same place. I mean, look, sometimes weird stuff happens, right? Like Eli Manning and Nick Foles were the ones to beat Brady in Super Bowls. So one never knows. Um, but this season, I started the season feeling like it was silly to pick any team but the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl. Spent a lot of the, the middle of the season coming as far off of that take as I could possibly muster. And I guess I have some thinking to do because I feel like I'm back in the same place. We're so dumb. I did, it, I did the same thing too. Like, I'm sure you, you probably wrote the same blurb I did when we picked our Super Bowl uh, pick in August. We were probably like, yeah, it's, it's default the Chiefs. I'm never going to pick against. I'm not an idiot. I'm going to keep doing this. And then two months later, we were the idiots that we were making fun of. And we we're like, the Chiefs aren't going to win. They don't have a receiver. He's throwing a Sky Moore on third down. They're not going to win. He's throwing an MVS on key downs to, to like game-winning plays. And then now I sat here and I watched him throw to MVS on a Okay, Super but Bowl other than on that play, they are not doing they're just like we're done with you. 
we it have. It doesn't matter though. We have two decoys. You of all people on should know this. All no, it, I know, I know, I know. I'm, I'm so glad that they are doing it this way. I think it make like the problem was when they were not doing this, right? Like the problem was when they were throwing to Michael Hardman in in critical situations, and if yeah. that means that we're gonna make the whole plane out of Pacheco Mahomes scrambles. Kelsey and Rishi Rice, I think that is just fine. Um, and yeah. it does seem like that's the direction they're going in. And also they have a defense that that means they don't have to score 35 points to win the game. They're going up against some pretty incredible playmakers on offense on the other side in the Super Bowl. So I don't know if I think that 17 is going to get it done. But the number is not as high as it has been in in years past. Um, And I guess to make sense of it all, like the story of this Chiefs team really has been Spags in the defense all along. And this game shows that that is still who they are. And I don't know why we should expect anything different in the Super Bowl. It's obviously not to discount the greatness of Mahomes and just how steady he is and how he's really owned that spot. But I just, I, I, it is interesting to watch this team with a, a really, really, really good defense and what Spags does with them. And that's how they won this game. It's easier to appreciate Patrick Mahomes for like the things outside of the flashy plays, which I think people have been reluctant to do since last year. But at this point you just can't do it. He just makes the smart plays. It's like, this isn't about the no-look passes, the sidearm passes, the crazy throws on the run. Like, the reason they're here is because he doesn't need any of that to be a good quarterback. The fact that he does it is just, like, cherry on top. A very big cherry, a very delicious cherry. But it is a cherry on top because the base, the foundation of his, his quarterback skills is so sound that, I, I, like, I really don't think he needs to play in that way. And, like, if you put him in a situation where you're, like, you be a game manager. There's that word again. I think he was a game manager manager today. He didn't make mistakes. He didn't put the ball in harm's way. And the Ravens gave him a lot of chances to do that. And that's what's so impressive about this performance is mitigating problems while keeping his offense viable. It was very impressive. All right. Again, we'll get to talk about this so much more. So maybe we'll call it a night there. But I have to ask you one more question before we go, which is, Stephen, did you see Taylor? I did not. I looked. Me and Heifetz were Heifetz is here. He went to the game I'm too. I'm glad he you looked, looked all over the press box. <laughs> if I could have been a fly on the wall for you and Danny Heifetz going in search of Taylor Swift, that would have made me very happy. Um, all right. I found T Pain. T Pain was here. Did T Pain? Was T Pain amazing? I didn't watch. I went to the bathroom. I'm sorry, T Pain. I'm sure Steven. he was. I heard. Uh, I heard good life in the background, and it, it sounded amazing. I've been to three Ravens games this year. And the halftime performances so far, Big Boy from Outcast, Jimmy Eat World last week, and then T-Pain. Quite the, quite the showing. Which one? How, how many did you actually see? I did not watch Jimmy Eat World. I'm going to be honest with you. I've, okay, I've heard so the middle before. Saw, I don't like, need to hear it again. <laughs> I, I, I hate to say this. This brings me no joy. And in fact, a lot of sadness. But like, Big Boy's seen better days. Yeah, yeah. It was rough. It was rough. Uh, it doesn't work when Andre 3K is not there. It, it doesn't. It doesn't work. Well, and also then Andre gave that quote like a day later, being like, "I don't want to. I'm too old. Like I'm not in the game anymore. I can't. <laughs> I can't do it." It's like, yeah. Well, maybe we all, we all, uh, we all have our moments. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I think that means it's time to end the podcast. Um, this has been Dual Threat. I'm Nora Princiati. He's Stephen Ruiz. We will be back uh, in the middle of the week. We'll have a, a sort of Super Bowl preview championship round wrap up episode uh and then a lot more as we head towards the big game on monday though ben and shiel will have extra point taken thank you to eduardo campo for producing this episode thank you to kiara gibbons for her work on socials thank you to arjuna ramgopal and connor nevins for their additional production supervision and to you for listening
Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Vermont, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... Once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. 